Hey there, thank you so much for listening to the Big Time Talker podcast. We are everywhere now. Spotify, iHeartMedia, uh, wherever you download your podcast, please subscribe and tell a friend. And uh, thank you, speakermatch.com, for sponsoring the show. They are the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you're a platform speaker or maybe you're a meeting planner and you need a speaker, you'll find one another at speakermatch.com. Well, we're coming out of the long Independence Day holiday weekend and patriotism has been on my mind. Uh, Woody Williams, Herschel Woody Williams, Erica's last surviving World War II Medal of Honor recipient passed last week. His uh, funeral was at the state capitol in my home state of Charleston, West Virginia on Sunday. And uh, what a great American, what a great patriot. And so I wanted to invite another great American, a great patriot into the show today. He's my friend, Richard Battle. Richard the author of several books, his latest is Life's Daily Treasure. Uh, he joins us from his home in Austin, Texas. Thanks for being here today. Bert, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me with you again. Patriotism has gotten a little bit of a bad rap in the last, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years. It's not what it, it once was in the mind's eye, at least in, in you know, the, the arena of public perception. So I'd like to start with that. With you, what does the word patriotism mean? Well, to me, it, it means love of country and appreciation for the giants that sacrificed so much from before our founding, through the founding, and in the last two centuries to preserve our freedom and liberty. And that is the individual freedom and liberty, the, the twin towers of economic liberty and political liberty. And without both of them, you have neither of them. And they've both been under withering attack from people who've created nothing and who want us to be in a much more collective society that's not any different than any other country in the world. And I believe our country is very unique and has given us this gift, which we have to preserve and extend to future generations. One of the things I like about your books is you, uh, you tend to be an inspirational guy. You tend to be an encouraging guy. Um, you're a glass half full guy like I am. Um, but boy, sometimes I'm sure that's tough to do when we talk about you know, where things are in this country. So I'm, I'm going to put it to you right now. Um, inspire us, encourage us. What, what's great about the USA when everything seems to go wrong all the time over and over again? <laughs> well, we, we have our challenges, but I think our parents and grandparents and others faced tougher challenges and came through stronger for them. And so the option we have is do we cower in the face of these challenges and surrender to people who want to rule us and dominate us and take our individual freedom away, or do we stand tall and participate in our freedom and democracy and regather that liberty back? And government right now wants to be our daddy, if you will. <laughs> and we have to remember that everything government does they only do by taking away our liberty. So every time they say they want to do something to help us, they take our freedom away. And I'm encouraged by seeing families and parents 
uh, step up now and go to school board meetings and run for political office and start to regain their civic involvement. And people are discouraged now and they're afraid that they can't do anything to make a difference. And so my biggest encouragement is none of us can do everything to fix the things that we don't like, but each of us can do one more thing than we're doing now. And if each of us would find a passion, city council, school board, whatever it is, and participate at that level, the combination of us doing that would regain our liberty and freedom more so than we have it today. You know, there was a, a time in my parents' generation, your parents' generation, when most young men uh, did military service. And it's not that way now. And, and I read recently, you know, I'm based here in Washington, D.C., that um, the roles of Congress right now have less members who have, have uh, done military service, public service, than at any time in, in the history of the country. And I wonder what you think about that. Do you think that, that we should get back to a place where there's some sort of mandatory uh, uh, service to the country, whether it's the military or the Peace Corps or some other way to serve? Do you think that that's a good thing to, to swing back towards? Well, I think the first thing is the individual's heart. Do they have a servant's heart? And you mentioned Woody Williams earlier. And as a student of history, I was well aware of what he did on Iwo Jima in 1945, but I wasn't as uh, knowledgeable about all of the service for the remainder of his 98 years to military and military families and others, and how much he continually gave back to other people. And one of the things that's happening in our society now is our culture promotes looking out for self and materialism first and teaching people to be servants of others and servant leaders is the first step. And, and when people have a servant and a servant leader's heart, they will look for avenues to do that through the military, Peace Corps or other avenues because they'll recognize that when they serve others, they're not only enriching themselves, but they're building a better country for all of us. Richard Battle is our guest today. His latest book is Life's Daily Treasure. He's got uh, eight of them, a ninth on the way, and we're going to talk about that a little later on in, in the broadcast. Um, thank you so much, Richard, for spending uh, the day after Independence Day weekend with us to talk about uh, our country and, and about patriotism. And, and I wonder if, if you have a thought on why patriotism has, has gotten such a bad rap and gotten such a bad rap recently, or, or is it recent? Is, is this me just looking at it from, from that, that vantage point? I, you know, I just, it seems as if it's almost a dirty word to be patriotic and to say you love the country. And that's, you know, across the political spectrum. Do you see that too? And if so, why do you think that is? Well, I think there's a diminished patriotism in the country now. And if we look back just after 9-11 and the attacks in New York and Washington, for example, there was a terrific surge in patriotism. And at all of the baseball games, the seventh inning stretch, everyone would stand and sing God Bless America. And the country was more united for a short while. And this progressivism and woke culture that's come about since then and the attacks on our 
institutions and institutional heroes has eroded that patriotism. And unfortunately, none of us are perfect and none of our ancestors were perfect, uh, but many of them did outstanding things. And we should remember the outstanding things and be thankful and emulate them and not tear them down based on the individual failures because we will all fail in life. And the people who are doing these attacks not only fail, but most of them have never done anything positive. They are permanently and entirely critics. And so we cannot survive if all we do are criticize the people who built the country. What do you think about the, the divisiveness in, uh, in politics now? And especially sort of, you know, fueled by the media. And hey, I look, I'm, I'm a member of the media. I'm a podcaster. So, you know, I, I would put myself in there. But is it more divided there than ever before? And if so, do you think that has helped to, to chip away at patriotism? Well, I think it's definitely divided. And I believe that the, the main part of the media has chosen sides. And instead of reporting the news and the facts and trying to help people make decisions on what's going on. They've chosen sides in the way they want to present the news. And unfortunately, it is in a way that is not taking the country's benefit. And I think that started in the Gulf War when the CNN reporters were not reporting pro-American or American news, but were acting like they were citizens of the world. And we hear that term a lot now, especially on one side of the political aisle. And that it benefits the people who want a one world government or society. And there's no freedom in that for anyone. And if we want to retain our uniqueness, exceptionalism and freedoms that we have in this country, we have to retain the country and celebrate and build the country by educating our children on what made and makes and will make the country unique and worth fighting for. You know, I'm going to push back a little bit on that because it almost sounds as if you're saying that that uh, reporters should should uh, put a little extra varnish on things um, and maybe not report just the truth, uh, but be a little bit more rah-rah All-American. If, if that's not what's called for do you think that it should be whitewashed what what are you saying exactly i don't well, want to put no i don't I, that's not what i'm saying and, and we look in history and we saw what happened in world war ii when the the media covered up for franklin roosevelt's poor health for example right and president kennedy uh, some of his health issues and other activities were covered up for example and that media has been dead and gone since watergate but since Watergate, the media has tried to make news instead of report news, in my opinion. And I think that they've chosen a side which is antagonistic toward the strengths of our country. And so as opposed to being neutral in reporting facts, they go out of their way sometimes to obscure positive facts and report negative facts only. So in your estimation, it's a little bit of a slippery slope, though, because you you don't want to take away 
freedom of the press. You don't want to, you know, stifle them and, and have it be, you know, like some communist country where uh, the only thing that gets reported is what comes from the government. So I wonder how you thread that needle exactly in getting the word out. Well, I'm a free enterprise person, and I, I believe the free enterprise system will take care of that over time. And I think that there's only a limited amount of time that the media can take advantage of the public, if you will, or fool the public with some of this news. And at some point, the public is going to see the media outlets who are not reporting accurately and they will pay a severe price for it. And I think we see some of that going on right now with some of the wokeness of our institutions and media suffering for it. Uh, but I don't think that cleansing has fully occurred yet. Richard Battle, our guest on the Big Time Talker podcast, the author of a bunch of books, one of my favorite ones, and I just love the title, Navigating Life's Journey, Common Sense in Uncommon Times. And, and at the risk of sounding a thousand years old, <laughs> common sense uh, seems to be in short supply, especially in our elected leaders, uh, frankly, from both sides of the aisle. And I wonder sometimes if, if I am sort of wistfully looking back when, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, people seem to have it together a little bit more. There seemed to be more common sense happening out there. Do you think that's the case or, or has the world just changed so dramatically that, uh, that maybe we are the, the two old men on the front porch and our rocking chairs saying, get off my lawn? No, I think you're exactly right. As I tell people, common sense is always in style and it never goes out of season. And if it was common, we wouldn't be talking about it. But uh, I think that we've evolved over the last several years and I've never heard anybody define the swamp that was discussed so much in the last few years. But the way I define the swamp is, is that we're governed by career politicians benefiting career lobbyists, executed by career bureaucrats, and covered up by career media people. And that's a syndicate that until it's broken, we will not have common sense governance, I don't believe. And my illustration of that in Washington is how few of our elected officials have ever really had real jobs in the world. So many of them have come out of school and gone straight into politics, either in staff or elected positions, and served their entire life. And they're making decisions on things that they have no experience, none of them. And some of them have never operated as much as a lemonade stand. And to quote the late William F. Buckley, uh, so there are a lot of days that I would trust the first 535 people in the New York phone book to govern us more so than the elected members of Congress. <laughs> yeah, there is some of that. Uh, so in your opinion, to get back to patriotism, uh, you know, I, I think our founding fathers sort of saw public service as you go and you serve you know, a set amount of time, and then you come back because you got to till the fields or work your family business or whatever it is. Uh, how do you feel about term limits for, for elected officials? 
Well, I'm a believer in them. And, and people say, well, why wasn't that in the Constitution? And it wasn't because the founders never dreamed anyone would want to go to Washington and stay there their entire lives. Right. Uh, the money and the power was not there. And it really only came after World War II. And in David Brinkley's great book, When Washington Goes to War, uh, he talked about how they increased taxes to pay for World War II. And after the war, the people didn't demand their taxes to be cut. And so all of a sudden, Washington was flooded with this extra money. And the politicians said, well, I guess we better spend it. And since then, they've gone on a spending spree and a power grab spree that makes it to where politicians want to go. And once they get that access to spending money and power, that's very uh, much an aphrodisiac, if you will. It's very enticing. It's hard to walk away from power. And I always look back and I thank God we had George Washington for so many reasons, but one of those was he walked away from power when he could have been king or president for life. And he set an example of how other people should operate and not think that they are indispensable and think that they're the only ones who can serve in Washington and walk away and go back home, let others come in, then we wouldn't need term limits. Richard Battle, our guest today, the new book is Life's Daily Treasure. And uh, he just had a big sale over the weekend on his books and his Kindle books. You can visit him online at richardbattle.com. He joins us from his home in Austin, Texas. We're talking patriotism as we come out of the Independence Day uh, holiday weekend, which means a whole lot more than than uh, baseball and uh, and grilling out back. Not that there's anything wrong with either of those things, but uh, but I wonder how many folks, Richard, uh, when they celebrate Independence Day, think back to uh, to what that's all about. And I wonder how you, because I know you're a very patriotic guy, that's why you're on the show, how you mark your Independence Day. Well, I think the most important thing is for us to recognize our forefathers and what they did for us at the founding and then beyond. Uh, there's times that our country has been in mortal peril. The last time was World War II, but the founders... Uh, if you look at the book, The Lives of the Signers of the Declaration of Independence, uh, B.J. Lossing talked about they had the founders pledged their lives, fortunes, and sacred honors. Well, nine of them died fighting or from hardship. Twelve had their homes pillaged and destroyed by the British. Five were captured and were tortured before dying. Two lost sons. Another two sons were captured, and others lost wives and fortunes. Those people, that was just among the 56 signers. And then there were so many others that sacrificed over those seven years. And we look back at the times in 1776 when things looked so dark and only the persistence of George Washington and his leadership by example kept us going. And it was his victory over the British at Trenton the day after Christmas, after crossing the Delaware, which turned people's attitudes and gave us the strength to go on for those seven years. And there are so many times after that. And we just have to think about that because the life we were given was not given freely. And if we don't appreciate that, 
we will lose it because the people who want to give our country away to that single world type government or don't care about the United States being an individual special country, they will give it away and then we will not be special. We'll be like all the rest of the countries in the world. You mentioned American exceptionalism uh, earlier in the conversation. Is that a thing? Is that a real thing? Or is that, again, a little bit of uh, bravado and a little bit of chest pounding? What do you think? You've been around the world. Well, as a, as a person of faith, I believe there's evidence that our excess, exceptionalism was given to us by our creator. And our Declaration of Independence talks about our freedoms coming from the natural law and the creator of natural law. And a few weeks ago, I had to the pleasure to go to Plymouth, Massachusetts and stand in front of the Plymouth Rock and go up on the, the old burying ground and stand at William Bradford's gravesite. And that was only 400 years ago, which in some ways seems like a very, very long time. But if you take 70-year-old people and line them up, that's only six generations of 70-year-old people all the way back to the pilgrims. And so our creator, in my opinion, gave us and helped us overcome overwhelming odds to give us the freedoms we have. So many other countries, the, the, they're not citizens, they're subjects. And they are ruled by governing bodies of elite. Our self-government experiment is at stake every election and is more so than ever in the upcoming election this year, in my opinion, and in the one following it, because the stakes are very divided. Uh, you and I are old enough to remember when both parties were patriotic and pro-American exceptionalism, and we're not seeing that today. We're seeing a divisiveness of pro-American versus America is no different than anyone else. It's no uh, no question sort of where you lie on the political spectrum. Um, and you're one of the good guys, and I love that. I, I look at it um, not in black and white, but in shades of gray on a lot of this, though. And I'll tell you why, Richard. So earlier this week, um, I uh, had the pleasure to take my son down to the University of Virginia. He was down there for some meetings in Charlottesville. And, and we're driving through through downtown Charlottesville near the campus. And, and we come upon an intersection and then a second intersection where clearly uh, some Civil War era statues have been taken down. And Charlottesville, very famous for what happened down there, or infamous, I guess I should say, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, it, it's a great country and I love it here, but it ain't perfect and lots of bad stuff happened. So how do you decide you know, what you talk about and what you don't and what you, uh, what statues you take down and which ones you keep up and, and how you deal with that messy past that this country has. Well, I think there's several things about that. And uh, the founders recognize the imperfection of man and the imperfection of themselves. And that's why they, they set the government up with limitations on the government power and freedom for the individuals because they knew what would happen if one person or one group of people got too much power. Right. And yes, slavery was a dark stain on our country, but 
600,000 Americans died in that civil war that ended slavery over 150 years ago. And I think in my lifetime, there was more discrimination when I was younger and less discrimination a little bit later. And yet we have cottage industries who survive on perpetuating divisiveness and trying to point out racism in everything, sometimes where there may be it and sometimes where there isn't it. And their whole livelihood is trying to royal the country up versus trying to bring us together. And I think we've, we're closer together uh, until the mid-60s or so than we are at this current time. And forming a more perfect union means working together to overcome those shortcomings and try to be better. And if we can find common ground to do that, I think we'll be a stronger country uh, for everyone and every individual will retain their individual liberty in doing so. Our guest, Richard Battle, is the author of eight books. His last one is uh, all about life's daily treasure. And uh, there's also a, a Kindle version of that that's available. And it's also available in hardback and paperback. Visit richardbattle.com uh, to find out more. Um, you have a new book that sort of dovetails into our conversation about patriotism. The book's not out yet. It's uh, still being finalized. But uh, share with, with our listeners the title, because I just love the title. Well, the title is Made in America by Americans, not Americans. And one of the things that I dislike seeing is people disparage the country, tear it down, and talk about things we can't do. And Americans in America, when it's been the strongest, it's been when we've been the freest for individuals to pursue their dreams, uh, to invent, to create, and individuals have led the way. Uh, as one example, we look at the Wright brothers and what they did. Here they had a bicycle store, and they come up and invent powered flight. Unlike their competition in other countries, they took no government money. They were self-educated and learned what they had to to make it happen. And they invented powered flight in 1903 and, and perpetuated other inventions after that and held 50 or 60 patents and did all kinds of things because of their individual freedom and dreams. And to me, that's the Americans. Uh, when we inspire people of what's possible, whether they fail or succeed, they'll always attain more than if they don't have a dream and they'll have much better attitudes. If we look at other countries in the world where mediocrity is perpetuated, dreams are stifled, and we can see societies in Europe where the best creations they had were two, three, four hundred years ago because the people today are disincentivized for pursuing their dreams and creating culture and art and different inventions. So isn't though patriotism, Richard, in its core, sometimes you have to push back on the institutions. I mean, could you not argue that uh, the Woodward and Bernstein were doing their patriotic duty whenever they, uh, you know, they, they chased down Watergate and it eventually led to, to Nixon's resignation. Sometimes don't you have to, to put sort of a, a sharp eye towards your country and towards your government? 
Well, absolutely. And I, I don't care if someone's what party someone's from, if someone is breaking the law and is in government, whether they're a bureaucrat or an elected official, they ought to be prosecuted and the fullest extent of the law because they are held to a higher standard than normal citizens. And they represent the citizens. And if they abuse their honor and oaths of office, they should be prosecuted for that. And that is something to me that's uh, we don't do enough of right now because I think the political parties protect each other far too often because of the allure of power and spending the purse. You mentioned you're a, a man of faith earlier in the conversation and, and there's been a, a patriotic decline uh, in churches. And, and I'm not just throwing this out there. There was a, a survey that was done by the Lifeway Research Group uh, it was reported on in uh, Christianity Today that says that fewer churches now put patriotism on display for July 4th. And, uh, you know, with Independence Day falling right after uh, a Sunday this year, I wonder, you know, your thoughts on that. It says in the survey, two thirds are okay with flying the flag year round. Uh, pastors have become more divided over Independence Day celebrations, and they've been tracking this since 2016. So, the top line on it is that uh, since 2016, now considerably less believe it's appropriate to display the flag year-round, uh, less believe it's important to incorporate patriotic elements in services, and now uh, uh, many less report their church's love of America sometimes seems greater than their love of God. Why the decline of patriotism in America's churches? Well, I think it follows uh, our cultural pressures on patriotism. And, and I'll say last year at, at my church, we had two services. The first one was traditional, and it celebrated the, the hymns, the patriotic hymns of the country and the founding of the country and how exceptional uh, and how we believe that God has given his grace to us for this country. And the second service was a traditional service. And there was no inspirational or patriotic type music at all. The contrast was stark and alarming to me because my belief is, is if we don't do that, it won't take but one more generation and it will be gone. And what will follow will be the exceptionalism and freedom that our country stood for for generations. And we will go right into that abyss, in my opinion, where we'll be a very secular country like all of the other countries, and we'll be looking at a totalitarian government left or right, and we'll be subjects to that type of rule versus uh, having the individual freedoms that we've enjoyed for so long. Our guest Richard Battle is talking with us about patriotism on this day after Independence Day, if you're listening to the podcast on the day it drops, and uh, Richard's book, Life's Daily Treasure, available at richardbattle.com, amazon.com, wherever you get uh, your books. And we're talking about patriotism because of this new Gallup poll that suggests Americans' patriotism is starting to, to wane. And that raises questions, Richard, of, of just what it means to say you love your country and how we should think about our country's problems and our flaws. And uh, and I wonder if, if, you know, and we hear it all the time. I heard it this morning uh, on the radio, 
things have never been this bad. Um, is that is that really the case, or is that sort of an indicator of historical illiteracy? Have things really never been this bad? Well, I think it's historic illiter illiteracy, and I think back to when the pandemic came in, and I would hear people talk about how bad COVID is, and can it get any worse? And I chuckle and say, "Well, I've had a lot worse years than COVID that I faced personally." But as we mentioned earlier, our parents and grandparents, I mean, they went through the pandemic in 1918, some of them, the Depression, World War II, the Cold War. Uh, I can remember the Cuban Missile Crisis and the threat of nuclear war. Uh, one third of the houses in the United States at the start of World War II still did not have indoor bathrooms. And so there was so little money. People didn't have cell phones and uh, electricity in homes sometimes and running water, air conditioning, so many of the things we have today, so much leisure time. They had to work one, two, three jobs. They would have multi-generations living in the same house. So, so many of these things they went through and it toughened them up and they didn't even think about how bad they had it because they just worried about surviving. And today we have all these blessings and we have the leisure time to complain about little things that are inconveniences to us uh, versus the threats. Think back to the news, even in World War II, of how many people were killed in the war and how many families it affected. And our country suffered less than many other countries in the world, but it was much worse than we suffer today. This, uh, this Gallup poll that I mentioned to you, um, you know, you can slice and dice those numbers any way you want, um, but it does, you know, certainly point to 38% of, of U.S. adults say they're extremely proud to be an American. Um, that's the lowest since they started uh, doing that poll, which I think was in 2001. Um, but if you combine that together with the 27% who are very proud and the 65% of adults who express pride in the nation, um, that's still, you know, a, a pretty high number. And, and I wonder how you juxtapose that with, um, with the pushback, you know, from uh, folks like Colin Kaepernick to standing up for the national anthem. If, if, if you, and I, I guess the question is, Richard, can you be proud of your country and be patriotic and at the same time be frustrated or disappointed or angry with the state of your country? Do you see any contradiction in that? No, not at all. And I'm very proud of our country. And like many at this point, I'm very frustrated with our governance uh, because of some of the things we talked about earlier, but we have the freedom still to make those changes. And as long as we can get people to exercise their citizenship, the politicians will not dare to exercise and take power from us. It's only when the people are apathetic uh, and I think that's the biggest problem we have right now is the people don't think they can make a difference or don't care. And the politicians seizing on that say, well, don't worry about it. We'll take care of you. And again, whenever they take care of us, they're taking away our freedom to make choices and live freely. And they're giving that freedom to the government to rule over us. Well, certainly I think, you know, criticizing your country can be 
I mean, that can be an act of love. You, you want your country to get better than it is. And if you think the USA is on the verge of making a terrible mistake, you want to prevent that. I think where I have a, a challenge is in the way that that sometimes is communicated. And uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I am old fashioned, but I still think you can get a lot more, uh, you know, with honey and sugar than you can with vinegar. So do we need to shout about it? all the time? Does it need to devolve into these these screaming matches on both sides? Or is there a better way to communicate uh, when things are, are starting to go sideways? Well, we have a strong tradition of dissent and protest. But what's happened in the last several years are the protests have turned violent and violence has been accepted and law and orders been toned down, if you will, or told to stand down and let violence occur. Right. And, and that's not good in any circumstance. And we have people who believe their way is the only way, for example, as the Supreme Court has made several rulings this year, uh, that leads to violence because people believe their way is the only way. And I think both sides have been frustrated by the court and by legislature over time. And that's normal. Uh, no side is ever going to get its way a hundred percent of the time. And that's part of being a free country. If one side got its way a hundred percent of the time, then we would be living in a totalitarian government. And the other side would be totally uh, depressed as well as, repressed from their freedoms uh, in their lives because they would be subjugated by the other side. Well, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I just wish that Americans would cut each other a little more slack more often. You know what I mean? I mean, we're all just trying to get through life and, and the average guy or lady who, whatever, drives a truck in Nebraska or is a nurse in Virginia or is a welder in Texas, they're just trying to get through the day and face their own challenges and fight their own demons. And uh, sometimes they keep those hardships hidden from their kids. So, you know, if, if I would have a gripe, as we talked about patriotism with America, it's just, you know, I, I wish that we would all cut each other a little more slack. What say you, you to that? Well, I, I agree. And, and I grew up and I can remember at family gatherings, my parents and aunts and uncles talking about issues of the day and talking, some would believe one way and others would believe the other, and they'd have a conversation, and some, there was some persuasion one way or the other, and then they would have a meal, play dominoes or other things, and everybody would get along, and unfortunately, when I hear things today, when I hear brothers and sisters that can't have conversations and are on opposite sides of issues and can't remain civil and respect each other's disagreements, that's very sad. That's what led to the Civil War in the 1860s, where brother fought against brother because they disagreed on issues. And it wasn't just slavery, it was states' rights and many other issues as well. So that is where I'm afraid we, we could head if we don't regain civil discourse. Well, yeah. And I do worry sometimes about what would happen if somebody really studied you know, this arguing and cultural anxieties that we, we have with one another, uh, you know, weaponized our divisions against us. And, and maybe that's what Russia is already doing with, with some of their monkeying around in social media. 
but there's certainly a lot worse ways to to gin up our divisions and, and that could cause real problems for us. Richard Battle is our guest today and uh, we've got just a couple of minutes left. Um, I've, I've done a, a fair amount of traveling overseas as, as of you and, you know, I, I often wish, and as we talk about patriotism and, and America and American exceptionalism and, and Independence Day, I wish that, that Americans could have the opportunity, not just to visit overseas, but to be there for an extended period of time, to live in another country for, for a, a year minimum. And that's not because all other countries are terrible, they're just different. And I think that would illuminate what makes the, the American experience unique. Absolutely. Uh, one experience I had in the United Kingdom uh, illustrated that to me some years ago. And what's interesting, you can look on TV and look at a tour of the United Kingdom, and a lot of the people look like us, and they look happy. And so you think, well, they're just like we are. But when you go there and see their taxes of 60% plus and the disincentive that gives to people to try to work harder and make extra money for their loved ones, the lower standard of living, much smaller houses and less refrigeration and air conditioning and having to go to the store every day or two to buy supplies because you can't store enough supplies. There are so many other little things that you can observe being there that you can't visualizing in pictures that make you appreciate what we have. And appreciating what we have versus other people is the first step, I believe, in really recognizing American exceptionalism and loving our country and appreciating what people have given us. I have a pal, uh, Richard, Mike Willard, who uh, has a uh, vacation home in Turkey. And it's beautiful there. It's right on the ocean. But in Turkey, he told me it was, uh, and I think this is probably still the case, it's illegal to write that the Armenian genocide ever occurred. So if you actually write it down or you talk about it, you actually have to call it the so-called Armenian genocide. And, and that more than anything else sort of crystallizes what makes this country great, in my opinion, is that, that we can say out loud what in many other corners of the world, you're not allowed to speak up and talk about. Well, yes, and, and we look at countries where you can't uh, share the Christian Bible around the world, or you will get thrown in jail or worse, or persecuted. And we have the freedom still to worship the way we want to, Christian, Jew, Muslim, whatever faith anyone has, we still have that freedom, and it's very easily overlooked if we don't recognize others who don't have it. And, and let me wrap up with this, as, as we talk about the challenges of patriotism appearing to be waning in the country and, and folks not feeling quite as proud to be Americans. In the calendar year of 2020, the pandemic had turned all of our lives completely upside down. Your fellow citizens in America gave 400 $71 billion to charities and nonprofits. That was a 5% increase from the previous year. And 70% of that enormous amount of money came from individuals. Five well, out of the last six years, charitable giving by individuals has grown. 86% of affluent households in this country uh, increased their giving despite COVID-19. 
this is still a pretty daggone great country to be from. Absolutely. And I think that illustrates the compassion and individual care of our citizens for others. And the main point about that was that was voluntary. Government compels us to pay taxes and they compel us to do certain things. And our attitude toward that money is different than when we voluntarily choose who and how much and when we want to donate our hard-earned dollars to help. World never stops turning. Problems will come, problems will go. The United States of America endures. As we come out of this Independence Day weekend, I'm proud to be an American, and I believe our guest, Richard Battle, is as well. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, and as we always say, God bless America. God bless America. That's my friend Richard Battle. He's an author of eight award-winning books and uh, also a much-in-demand public speaker and media spokesperson. Check him out at richardbattle.com. And thank you for checking out our Big Time Talker podcast brought to you by speakermatch.com. In Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, I'm Burke Allen. Thank you so much for listening. Now go out and make it a great day. Bye, everybody. <laughs>